Welcome back to another episode of The Haunted Demon and Insanity Forever Podcast. Today's episode will be Denver Lunatic Asylum. But first, uh, I'd like to say that we have a merch Instagram called Haunted Demon merch on Instagram uh, if you'd like to follow us over there um, as well as the Haunted Demon official podcast Instagram you know where you can interact with, interact with us let us know what you think about episodes <clears throat> but let's get right into it after it closed the old hospital site became a popular destination for thrilled seeking kids looking for the scare of a lifetime Hathorn Hill in Danvers Massachusetts harbors a beautiful Kirk Bride building with its gothic-styled spires and red brick construction. The judge that presided over the Salem Witch Trials, John Hathorne, once lived here a few hundred years ago. Perhaps that dark history cursed the building that currently sits on Hathorne Hill. The facility that once housed Danvers State Hospital is now home to a residential community featuring fully renovated apartments. However, the building's dark past make it one of the creepiest monuments to insane asylums in the world. The, the idea was that the facility would be self-sustaining meaning that everything it needed was on site. The overall design, as seen from the air, looked like a bat in mid-flight. The design supposedly helped draw breezes through the entire facility. Although the building looked beautiful, on the outside, inside was a different matter. The early years of Danvers State Hospital Danvers State Hospital Hospital was originally called the State Lunatic Asylum at Danvers, a cheerful name for sure. It was part of the countrywide concept, at least in the 1800s, that people with psychological problems needed to be cured. Inside specially made facilities, Construction on Danvers State Hospital started in 1874 and the first patients moved in sometime in 1878. At its peak, the facility had 40 buildings and maxed out at 450 patients. The goal of the facility was to completely cure patients of their ills. 
Danvers was a success at first. By 1900, Danvers State Hospital employed 125 people and had treated more than 9,500 patients since opening. Its good reputation proved to be Danvers' undoing. Over the next 20 years, the population of the the hospital swelled to more than 2,000 patients, despite, despite its official capacity of only 450. Administrators begged the state for money to build more rooms and hire more staff to no avail. Socking living conditions. Then the horrific abuse started. Patients walked through hallways naked. They lived in their own filth from a lack of basic hygiene. People weren't being cured. Their symptoms got worse. Shock therapy and straight jackets became the norm. The thinking was that jolts of electricity could either alter a patient's brain or make the patient afraid of shock therapy and scare them into submission. When they misbehaved, they were put in straight jackets and forgotten. When shock therapy failed, the the lobotomies started in 1939. The medical community was looking for a permanent fix to the crisis facing mental health facilities. The population of the hospital swelled to 2,360. A total of 278 people died at the hospital that year. Medical science saw lobotomies as a cure for anyone's insanity and as a way to stop the deaths. Neurology experts often call Danvers State Hospital the birthplace of the prefrontal lobotomy. The moniker came from its widespread use, but also from the procedure's refinement at the hospital. Visitors to Danvers State Hospital in the early 1940s reported lobotomy lobotomy patients wandering aimlessly through the halls of the the hospital. At least the patients didn't complain, because many of them just stared blankly at the walls. (coughs) Patients walked around in a drugged, hellish daze. No one would let them leave and held them against their will. That is, if patients could express their thoughts after having a portion of their brain ripped out during surgery. Decline and repurposing. The lack of funding continued. Buildings fell into disrepair, which made conditions worse. Finally, the state intervened. Portions of Danvers State Hospital were shut down in 1969. Most of it closed in 1985, the year I was born. 
little fact, before a permanent shutdown in 1992, after which the site became a popular destination for thrill-seeking kids looking for a good scare. Why Danvers State Hospital ranks among history's most infamous asylums. His own hill in Danvers, Massachusetts. In 2005, a development company bought the one-down property and tore down a large portion of the buildings. The renovations turned the once macabre lunatic asylum into Avalon Danvers Apartments. Construction faced delays in 2007 when a mysterious fire broke out and burned a majority of the new construction and some trailers. Perhaps the tormented spirits of the dead put a curse on the place. The Hell House on the Hill, one of several unkind yet accurate nicknames for Danvers State Hospital, looks brand new today. However, its reputation remains. Horror novelist H.P. Lovecraft used Danvers as the inspiration for his Arkham Sanitarium, if the name Arkham sounds familiar. DC Comics latched onto the name and created Arkham Asylum as the backdrop for where Batman's ultra-psychotic villains came from. The only remnants of the horrific practices that went on in Danvers State Hospital are the gravestones in two nearby cemeteries, which contain 770 bodies. Some headstones only have numbers as opposed to names. Even in death, administrators at Danvers State Hospital did not dignify their patients. So... That was, you know, if you can just imagine, you know, a lot of, they, they, and, no, I just want to say this now, I'm not saying this for all asylums, they all have a very, they all started out with a very good place, but unfortunately, you know, stuff like this happened. So that was Danver Lunatic Asylum. Next one we're going to discuss is the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was supposed to be a place of peace and restoration, but
but it soon devolved into madness and destruction. Deep in the heart of West Virginia, surrounded by sweeping grounds and green lawns, there is a beautiful long building with a tall steeple in the centre. It looks like an expensive boarding school or an attractively weathered manor house. The structure is neither now is neither now abandoned. It was once the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, and its halls witnessed atrocities that left their mark on the building and the surrounding community. What the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was supposed to be. The asylum wasn't always a nightmarish facility. In fact, when it was commissioned in the early 1850s, so this place was over well over 100, 150 to 200, 200 years old. Its conception marks one of the first hope, hopeful developments in centuries for mental patients. The building, the building was the brainchild of Thomas Story Kirkbride, Kirkbird, sorry, a doctor and crusader for the mentally ill, who founded what would, in time, become the American Psychiatric Association. Kirkbird built on the foundation established by famous reformer Dorothy Dix, who sought to disabuse people of their misconceptions about mental illness, namely that it was a shadowy, irreversible condition, best treated in darkness with force and physical restraint. Shaky as the science behind some of Kirkbride's medical ideas was, it undeniably led to a more humane and all-around more effective plan of treatment for the residents of his asylums than any other practice of the era. He emphasised the importance of light and fresh air, suggesting that asylums be built as long halls with 12-foot ceilings, plenty of windows and ventilation that allowed for cross breezes. He also emphasised freedom. Mental patients, he felt, should be allowed to roam as much as possible and find stimulation for their minds. They would behave better, not worse, if given more control over their lives. His ideas inspired the construction of 73 Kirkbride hospitals across the country. In the second half of the 19th century, including the trans allegheny Lunatic Asylum, from good intentions to a terrifying reality. When it opened its doors in 1863, the trans allegheny Lunatic Asylum renamed the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane was a model of Thomas Kirkbride's idea, ideals. It could house 200, 250 patients 
each with their own comfortable room. Skilled stonemasons had been brought in from Germany and Ireland to contribute to the architecture that featured wide open windows giving patients access to natural light and fresh air. The grounds were magnificent and sustainable, including a working farm, dairy, waterworks, gas well and cemetery. It was as architect Richard Snowden Andrews had intended it to be, a self-sufficient state-of-the-art facility designed to make patients feel at home, well cared for and restored. Then, in 1881, disaster struck due to an increase in mental health diagnosis and the stigma surrounding the disease, as was known back then, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum found its tranquil facilities overrun, housing almost, almost 500 more patients than they ever imagined. So, for as lavish and as massive this building was, their capacity was only allocated up to 250 patients, and that's not including the staff. So they probably already went over, went almost another 300 over. Or thereabouts. The hospital couldn't keep up conditions, began to decline dramatically. Patients were crammed together with sometimes four or five to a room intended for one. The farm and dairy on the compound, originally designed to provide for 300, were unable to meet the increased demand that came with overcrowding. Patients began to suffer from malnutrition, which only exacerbated mental health, mental health issues. By 1938, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was six times over capacity. The patients inside were running wild and orderly and orderlies outnumbered struggled and to regain control. At its peak in the 1950s, the hospital was holding 2,600 patients, more than 10 times the number it was intended to house. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum is shut down. To expose the terrible conditions within, the Charleston Gazette attempted to send in a crew to investigate the inner workings of the aforementioned asylum. What they found shocked them. Patients were sleeping on the floor and freezing and in freezing rooms due to a lack of furniture and heat. The overcrowding had resulted in overworked staff and a decreased emphasis on sanitation.
The once bright clear windows were covered with grime, darkening and further chilling. The rooms, the wallpaper was peeling from decay, and where it hadn't disintegrated on its own, the patients had turned it off in panic. Worse still were the patients themselves, those whom the orderlies deemed unable to be controlled had been locked in cages in open spaces in an attempt to make more bedrooms available for less worrisome inhabitants. The asylum had also become a training ground for experimental laboratories, as Walter Freeman, the famous surgeon and lobotomy advocate, opened up shop. The horrifying history of the trans and again the lunatic asylum. The, tran- the trans Allegheny lunatic asylum was supposed to be a place of peace and restoration, but it soon devolved into madness and destruction. In the course of his lifetime, Freeman performed some 4,000 lobotomies, leaving sometimes perfectly healthy patients with lasting physical and cognitive damage. His ice pick method, which involved slipping a thin pointed rod like an ice pick into the patient's eye socket and using a hammer to force it to to sever the connective tissue in the brain's prefrontal cortex, resulted in a number of deaths. By the time the asylum closed, only one part of its grounds had been expanded to accommodate the new demand, the graveyard. The expose published by the Gazette spurred a movement movement to close down the hospital, but it wasn't until 1994, after more than 100 years of squalor, that the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum closed its doors forever. Now the once ornate building intended for healing, but destined for destruction, sits abandoned and as if the patients simply vanished into thin air. Rooms are still filled with medical equipment and decrepit furniture, and wheelchairs sit in the hallways. Since 2007, tours have been made available for those who wish to see the asylum firsthand. Ghost hunters, the building's most frequent visitors, say they can feel the presence of the hundreds who perished in shocking conditions. The sceptics deny this, but all agree the building serves as a reminder of a shameful past and an, and an urgent call to do better in the future.
and finally we have one more Eastern State Penitentiary Is Eastern State Penitentiary really haunted? With its looming gloomy high stone walls, crumbling corridors and stark cells that once housed thousands of hardcore criminals, Eastern State Penitentiary certainly looks haunted. Its 142 year history is full of suicide, madness, disease, murder and torture, making it easy to imagine the spirits of troubled souls left behind to roam its abandoned halls around the nation. The harsh punishments used on prisoners are enough to make you shiver even without seeing a ghost. There was the water bath in which inmates were dunked, then hung out on a wall in winter until ice formed on the skin. The mad chair which bound an inmate so tightly that a circulation was cut off later later necessitating amputations. The iron gag in which an inmate's hands were tied behind the back and strapped to an iron collar in the mouth, so that any movement caused the tongue to tear and bleed profusely, and the hole, a dank underground cell, unfortunate souls had no no light, no human contact, no exercise, no toilet, and little food and air. The prison, which closed in 1971, is considered by several so- several sources to be one of the most haunted places in America. It has been featured on the Travel Channel's Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures and Most Haunted Life, Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters and MTV's Fear. Dozens of paranormal researchers visit every year and report that it's a hub of otherworldly activity. Perhaps most convincingly there are the stories of eerie experiences by visitors, staff guards and inmates that have corroborated each other since the 1940s. Cell Block 12 is known for echoing voices and cackling. Cell Block 6 for shadowy figures darting along the walls. Cell Block 4 for visions of ghostly faces. Many people have reported seeing a silhouette of a god in one of the towers. Footsteps, walls, whispers. The same stories over and over again. One of the most legendary tales comes from Gary Johnson, who helps maintain the crumbling old locks at the prison. In the early 1990s, he had just opened an old lock in cell block 4 when he says a force gripped him so tightly that he was unable to move. He described a negative, horrible energy that exploded out of the cell. He said tormented faces appeared on the cell, on the cell walls, and that one form in particular beckoned to him.
but tour guide Ben Buckman says it's a lot harder to find a believer than it is to find a skeptic here. We at Eastern State do not claim that the prison is haunted. We run a haunted attraction. Just give me one more moment. This is quick interlude. Buckman says the staff do not like to exploit the prison's dark image. Most people making TV shows come in looking for ghosts. That's not the story we tell. Inmates were real people. These were people's lives. 70,000 people spent time here. We're not going to glorify it. We're not going to make fun of it. Perhaps hauntings are a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you want to have haunted experience, your imagination just might make sure you do. Certainly there are thousands of visitors who say they've experienced no odd feelings. No sudden chills, no strange sounds, no apparitions, and yet there are plenty who say they have. So, yes, on the one hand, if you have a place where there's a lot of bad stuff going off, you know, you can have places like that that have a lot of residual energy where... You don't see any any ghosts, any apparitions, but that doesn't mean to say that they don't exist. It it just depends on the environment, on the horrific nature. Did they that? Did they die a certain way? what horrific stuff went on, went on. So, you know, let me know what you think. Um, but that would be it. I thought I'd do three episodes in one. Um, so, yeah, um, until next time, I'll see you then. Have a great start to your week take care of yourself uh, see you next time